I first became interested in Arduinos while designing mobile iOS games. Someone had written a game set in a real-world museum in Australia where, if you completed all the challenges correctly, your iOS device would send a code to a robotic fist. If the code was correct, the fist would slowly open and you could take the winning game token. So yeah, I had big plans for Arduinos in my games, but when I sat down with them, my learning curve was steeper than anticipated. So I wound up taking an evening Arduino class at the local makerspace here in Burlington. And then I thought, given the recent meteoric rise in popularity of makerspaces in schools and libraries in Vermont, I could sit down with the class instructor, Rachel Hooper, to answer a couple questions about how she went from a Goddard art major to an educator on the bleeding edge of tech, and how other educators could get up to speed with Arduinos a whole lot faster and easier than I ever did. Welcome to the 21st Century Classroom, a podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education. One quick note, my travel mic mysteriously disappeared the afternoon of the interview, so you may notice that the audio on this episode sounds a little different than usual. We can explain. So we are, I'm upstairs with the generator, locked in a bathroom with Rachel Hooper, who is the Arduino instructor for the generator, and we have a really good reason that we're locked in the bathroom. There's just no place I'd rather be than locked in the bathroom with you (laughs) talking tech, Audrey. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what you do at The Generator. Okay. Um, My name is Rachel Hooper, and um, I have an MFA in Emergent Media that I recently got a few years ago. And prior to that, I used to run an educational sew studio. So I would say that my my passions for teaching people how to do things that are pretty simple and have a big impact and influence in their world, something that I deem important. And also, um, I'm really interested in educating people around technology and demystifying technology. So after I graduated, um, this was really the perfect space for me. We have lots of maker tools and equipment and um, are looking to get people from all over Vermont in to come in and do things and make cool things. So. That's what I'm doing here. I'm currently running uh, their social media stuff and teaching classes um, and will possibly be... I'm also on the board. I guess I should point that out. I do a lot of things at the generator. A lot of things. Yep. (laughs) And you're also tech support for Vermont Car Share? I am tech support for Vermont Car Share. So um, basically I talk to the cars while they talk to the computers in the sky and then I talk to people about what's happening to their cars when there's an emergency or if they can't get in or out. Um, and I'm also the social media manager at Local Board. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed you have time to be locked in a bathroom with me. Yeah, I'm a classic Burlington how many jobs you've got. I've got mm-hmm. six jobs, artist. You know, this is how we do when you're an artist and technologist in Burlington. So you, this past uh, fall, taught uh, an Arduino class for adults, and I took that course and I really enjoyed it. So how did you get the idea to just start teaching adults specifically about Arduinos? And I will say that you were a star student, Audrey. It was really fantastic. Um, I got the idea. I was actually approached by Melissa Steady, who is the education coordinator at BCA, and I started doing children's classes with them first, but then also there's a need for professional development classes, and since uh, Generator opened and they were running their classes, they wanted to do specifically maker classes that the public would like, so I said... I'll do intro to Arduino, because Arduino is a great gateway drug to the maker universe. And that's what I did. And I 
four people signed up, three people signed up, including me, that makes four, and, and we did it, and it was really fun. And you also teach Arduinos to uh, students? I do, yep, I teach Arduino um, in small groups, uh, ages 9 to 15, about, um, and I feel like one of the beautiful things about Arduino and its way it's organized, it's open source software, it's open source hardware, there's so many people in the maker community who have done tutorials and have projects online, that it actually is an all-ages show. You can really get, if people have, um, a lot of times kids are easier to teach because they're already open to learning new things about technology. Sometimes grown-ups are a little resistant to learning it or think that there's this larger barrier than there actually is. But there's lots of early adopters and people that are just, you know, open to experimentation that have been taking the classes. And I think that um, they really get a lot out of it because the barrier is so low that we can all just sort of jump in and start making things. So do you, you find groups of students through schools or how does this work? I find the groups, actually, luckily for me, um, as a Vermonter, there's probably not a ton of people teaching these classes. So um, people come to me and ask if I could teach the class now. So um, I teach for BCA, I'm teaching for Generator, and I'm teaching a small group of students through big picture learning. So basically, uh, when there's an interest, when there's enough interest in either adults or students to learn it, Somebody brings me in, and I try and teach it, and we make some things and at least get going on it. I think a lot of times, especially with something like this, once you learn the fundamentals and get started, it's all about you just getting back into it and getting online and figuring out what you need to make and practicing, learning, making mistakes, <laughs> failing miserably, <laughs> going and tearing your hair out and starting a project, you know. So now that you've taught both students and adults, like how, how is it different primarily? Um, honestly, I would say there isn't a lot of difference. Um, sometimes kids are really rambunctious and already like to like mess around with teachers and not listen and that kind of thing, but sometimes adults do that too. Um, it really depends. I feel like in every group there's there's always somebody who does it a different way than I had told them to do it, and that's fine. And whether it's kids or adults, there's always going to be people that, you know, need more time or less time or jump through the project. It's really about the willingness to learn, right? And, and self-permission. Once we've granted ourselves permission to learn something, then we can learn it if we're resistant to it. You know, we're resisting it, doesn't matter if we're 8 or 42. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, how would you advise uh, a teacher who wanted to figure out enough about Arduinos to work with their students on it? What advice could you give them? I would say the first thing is to get yourself a kit. There's a bunch of different kinds of kits out there. I love the SparkFun kits, which you can get on the Adafruit website. I think SparkFun has their own website too. Just get an Arduino, download the software. It's free to download. It's not that expensive to get started. And like with like 40 bucks, you can get an Arduino and a breadboard. A lot of these kids already have everything all together. And just start going through it and playing with it 
connect. There's lots of teachers uh, in the maker community. There's lots of online resources for maker teachers, different projects that you can do with your kid. Uh, if you haven't already, I would say connect with your library at school and see what kind of maker things they have going on because most of the libraries in public and private schools have been also become maker spaces and teaching technology literacy. So they already may be plugged in or have been wanting to plug into these kinds of things. Um, and also, if you are in a school setting, I would say grab another teacher and make it a social project because... Mm -hmm. If you're doing it as a small group, you can, A, hold each other accountable to actually going through it and doing it. Having somebody to look at your code and look at your board to say, oh, your wire is loose or whatever is really helpful. And it helps um, you kind of move on and, and struggle with the building and then the coding and those kinds of things. So a group, reach out to other partners in the community and just dig in and just start doing it. Because honestly, once you get through, as I'm sure you realize, like once we started like bringing code in, watching something happen, it's like a pattern that repeats itself and just gets more complex as you, you know, as you need it to. Or it can stay really simple as like, I turn this switch and this light goes off, mm -hmm. depending on what you need. So going back to your background, were you more of a techie first who got interested in art? Or are you sort of an artist who got sucked into the tech world. Mm, yeah, I would say I'm kind of one of those left brain, right brain, right down the middle people. Um, when I was a little kid, I would build my own radio, radio kits and science kits. So I was kind of more of a science math nerd who also was an art nerd. And then suddenly I realized I could be all my nerds all together. Um, when I was doing the sewing um, and looking at DIY culture and maker movements in like the mid 2000s, that's when I began to realize that like all these different kinds of makers were starting to form this like mass of, of momentum of doing different things together, lots of fashion technology, wearable technology, that kind of thing. So I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like I know how to use a soldering iron. Like I could start stitching these things in. And just about at that time, they started offering this program, this emergent media program. And I was like, I'm a media artist. I would like to emerge myself into the <laughs> emergent media scene. So that's what I did. And that, I think that's when I really began to wholeheartedly kind of be more of a digital artist and kind of move away from the craft. But now that I've let all of that sink in, now I'm kind of back to more hands-on learning. I think that we all learn better when we can do the coding, but then we can see the things happen in real life. You know, so there's something about uh, when you're learning to code for the web, you know, it all lives in the interwebs, right? But if you can code in a physical environment, then you can actually see the interactions. And it, to me, it, it made it easier to tackle code because I wasn't a person who did any kind of coding before that. And I was also one of those people who was like, wait, you don't want me to actually learn how to code, do you? No, I can't do that. Like, no, I was that person who was like, no, that sounds really complicated. But then I started playing around with Flash and Flash animation and, and used art, my interest in art, to um, kind of force me to code because I wanted to see these interactions happen. And then once I realized that there was Arduino and processing and all of these really fun art projects and all I had to do was kind of understand some basic ideas around coding and I was like, okay. And then once I got in, I was like, oh, this is so much more easy than I ever would have imagined and why was I being so resistant?
I still am not, I wouldn't say that I'm like the best coder in the universe. And definitely if I had to work on a giant project with somebody that involves some really sophisticated coding, I would find that person. But at least I know what to look for and ask for because at least I've had this like broad, basic fundamental experience doing different kinds of languages and different kinds of projects. You talk about uh, the what it would be like to collaborate on a large scale Arduino project with other people. If, can you sort of talk about how you might advise teachers to get started if they wanted to get their students to all work collaboratively on one Arduino project? Um, you know, I don't have a ton of resources for that. I think that my first step would be go online and see. There's a lot of like engineering and mathematics clubs that do like challenge-based learning. So there'll be like a robot challenge or an engineering challenge and basically schools all enter into those and they use different kinds of things and microcontrollers would be really handy in that situation, right? So um, I would definitely check into those. You probably may already have an organization like that at your school that does those, you know, engineering and math challenges or science challenges. Um, but as far as art projects go, I don't know if I've really seen a lot. So I guess there's an opportunity really to um, challenge kids to build an art project collaboratively and then bring in interaction via Arduino and would that be neat? Like instead of just working just for math and sciences but also get super steamy and do the arts and make some sort of kinetic sculpture or something like that, just art for art's sake, but with technology, how great would that be? So um, I would say find, again, if you find what the kids are really interested in, let that drive your project. I bet they're your biggest resource. Oh my God, it's like the children are the future, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like, the children will guide us. But really, like, I think that's the only way that those kinds of projects, any kind of time, I've, any time I've worked on a big collaborative art project, it just involves the group stepping in and saying, we're making this now. And then... Why are we making it, and where are we making it, and that drives what you're doing. Now, you and I talked a little bit during the class about uh, wearable electronics and e-textiles, um, and specifically, would they? Do you think that they would be more uh, appealing to one gender or the other? So we also talked about you know mm -hmm. the try the difficulty of trying to get women and girls into. Yeah. More STEM and actually STEAM pursuits as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I I have taught both genders and gender fluid trans folk, all the genders, the entire gender spectrum. The I gender taught spectrum. The entire yeah. rainbow. I have taught um, sewing and crafting, so I feel like looking at that as just like a female pursuit would be. Um, erroneous because there's a lot of boys that are really into putting bags together and shirts together and stuff together. So I would say no. I would say this is something that we can all do. We all should have those skills, A. Eh? Um, and I think that maybe, yes, that maybe there are a bunch of folks that have been taught through their childhood that, oh, you just do crafts. You don't do any of these things. Maybe you know, bringing crafts and art does give a certain level of accessibility to people, to women in particular, that have lived in a culture where they've been told that that's kind of how they should enter things. Sad. But it's there, and it's fun, and it's cool as hell. You can make all sorts of great things. So, 
you know, maybe yes, doing more wearable technology. I feel like as we progress as a culture, it'd be kind of nice if we could stop defaulting like wearables as being a gateway for women to be in technology. But I say anything that we can use or do to get everybody participating, regardless of gender, let's do it. Um, and I want to see some boys on some sewing machines, putting some conductive thread and making stuff. Almost all the boys that I ever taught sew classes were actually the most into it. So, I don't know, it's a toss-up. But this, going back, and I'm sorry, I'm all like, screw the gender dynamics. Um, <laughs> it's just a broken paradigm. No. Um, getting women in and getting girls in, I think, does require specific attention. Instead of like, oh, we're all going to do it. Like, it, it is at the point in our culture where we do have to go in and reach out and make sure that girls are coming along for the ride and that people of color are coming along for the ride, people of various mental abilities are all coming, like we all need to come along for the ride. So at this point, we do need to make sure that we're reaching out and being accessible. And, and as teachers being really accountable around that, like, are we reaching everyone? You know, like, has, every, yeah, has everybody put their hands on this project? And has everybody shared their ideas with this project? And making sure that that's part of the learning as well. I think any kind of, uh, maker project or technology or arts and makery project is a perfect time to make sure that we're actually all working collaboratively together. And it's also really easy to, to correctively help people understand why that doesn't work because there's so many parts and pieces and things that could go wrong if everyone wasn't paying attention to what they were doing. So yeah, let's do more of that. Our technology needs to be transactional or it yeah. will not succeed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So as far as you personally, do you have like a, a favorite Arduino project you could uh, describe? Hmm. What made it so meaningful for you? Like, was it your first one that you got the, the light to finally light up after hours of toil? For me, that was huge. Yes. When that, that blue light finally went on during the last class, I was ready to dance a joy. It feels so good. And I would say those are the ones that I remember the most. Um, when I was in, when I was taking classes back in grad school, um, you know, we were basically doing a lot of the same things that we were doing, except it was like, and by the way, make something big and amazing. Um, and it's graded, <laughs> no pressure. So uh, the one that, the one, aha moment for me was how fantastic Legos are in uh, Arduino projects because you can build a little space to hold your Arduino in place. You can build all these things um, to hold your lights and your other stuff in place. So when I realized that that, that was my particular jam that I could use my kids' toys um, specifically the too many boxes of Legos that we have laying around to make things and then use the Arduino. I was really excited and they have sort of an 8-bit look to them too. So I made a high five machine because I needed to make something that had um, a variety of arrays that I could program in and then have a variety of lights to do different things when those arrays happen. So I had an ultrasonic sensor and I had a red light and a yellow light and a green light and I had made sort of an 8-bit looking hand out of Legos, right? And as your hand moved to the, the Lego piece, it would light up depending on the speed and force of your hand. And if it was really a hard high five, you'd get the red light or the green light and then back and forth. And it took me a really long time to code it and it didn't go well. It was one of those things where I had to keep testing and it didn't work and I would ask for help and when my professors would give me answers, I would just leave more confused 
and didn't know, you know? Because I feel like sometimes the barrier to learning, especially when you're doing physical computing, it's two things. You're learning to code. You're learning to think about how you would ask for things to interact in code, which is challenging. But you're also doing all of the hardware. So if you're building the circuit and you're building the pieces in the interaction. So there's like 50, 60 things that could go wrong in this really simple thing. So you have to basically be willing to sit down and test line by line and test your hardware and test your software and go around a few times and not see it and then have somebody come along behind your shoulder and be like, oh, this wire, click, and now it's suddenly all working. And then it works and then you do, you're just like, oh, it's, I got it, I'm so happy. And, and then those are the big, and you know, how great is that for yourself, but how great is that to give kids as a confidence builder, like when you first see something happen, like you remember it forever. I still remember my first electronic projects when I was eight years old and being like, I made it work. So it's definitely a good opportunity and something that sticks with you at last because it's hard because learning is hard, mm -hmm. you know, and telling kids that learning is easy is kind of not doing them a service. It's like, actually, it's really hard and challenging. And if you struggle through it, you will get rewarded by your thing working and you can again see it working and that's a joy awesome yeah electronics are awesome they are i had a great time during the class I, I'm so I glad. It, was, it was really interesting uh, and i had sort of my um translating this to a school environment cap mm -hmm. on the whole time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. how would you do this if you're a librarian in an emerging maker space, you know, as an after school activity, or how would you do this if you were somehow magically able to fold the entire activity into like a cross curriculum unit mm -hmm. where you know you're sort of trying to blend like biology and math and, yeah. and books and you know, trying to figure out all how that would all work. And I think you're totally right in that the overriding Emotion is just when you make something happen and it finally works and your code, you get that, that little code has compiled. Yeah. So there's no flashing bad lights, right? And then it works and then it just really reinforces the learning in this really pleasurable way, you know? You've been listening to the 21st Century Classroom, podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education. Follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes or over at our blog, blog tarrantinstitute.org and if you have comments or feedback on this episode or any of the 21st Century Classroom episodes drop me a line at audrey at tarrantinstitute.org